Please wait. There we go. Okay, we're looking at Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. Amen. This verse, verse 36, closes out the paragraph starting verse 33, but actually it closes out the first major section of Romans, chapters 1 through chapter 11. And it closes it out on a note of praise, a very high doxology, if you will. In fact, I would say that it is one of the greatest statements of the reality of our awesome sovereign God. A profound verse. And the doctrine of God's sovereignty, the bedrock, if you will, is the foundation of all other doctrines. If we struggle with this, then we're going to struggle with everything else in Scripture concerning God. This is crucial. A.W. Pink states, Divine sovereignty means that God is God in fact, as well as in name. That He is on the throne of the universe, directing all things, working all things after the counsel of His own will. That's our God. And we have to keep that in mind. We could state it more concisely by saying that God is, and the God who is, is the God who reigns. I've heard it said that God does as He pleases, when He pleases, where He pleases, with whomever He pleases, and I want to add, and no one can stop Him or hinder Him. Right? That's the sovereignty of God. And to say that God is sovereign is to basically say God is God. I hardly agree with Jonathan Edwards. He said, quote, Absolute sovereignty is what I love to ascribe to God. God's sovereignty has ever appeared to me a great part of His glory. It has often been my delight to approach God and adore Him as a sovereign God. And I would agree with that. Years ago when I used to teach at the college, I had, I considered one of the greatest privileges to teach the book of Romans every year. I loved teaching that book. And I believe that when we come to verse 36 here in chapter 11, we have come to the pinnacle of not only this book, but of everything that Paul writes in the New Testament. <coughs> it is the peak, if you will, of this mountain that he builds up. I call it the mountain of glory, starting in Romans chapter 1. And the peak, the summit, the highest point of this mountain is verse 36. <coughs> And if you remember in Romans, he begins this mountain by dealing with the first three chapters of the depravity of man. How wicked man is. How hopeless man is. Man is in sin. He has no hope. He is helpless. He deserves the wrath of God. It's a dark, gloomy picture. Man is completely without hope. That's where it all begins. And if we don't begin there, then the rest doesn't make sense. So in the first three chapters, he spends time building up this very dark picture of how hopeless man is. Wicked. No one does good, not even one, he says. But Paul begins to build this or uh, climb this mountain. And he explains God's awesome grace and justification when you come to chapter 3 through 5. It is there where we begin to learn about how gracious and generous God is. Because in chapters 1 through 3, the first part of 3, we learn how dead we are, but what does a dead person need? Life. And only God can give that life. And so we see His grace. And so we were completely without hope. Man is dead. But in this section, as Paul is building this up, 
God gives us life, true life. He provided what man desperately needs. And so he's climbing up this mountain, talking about God's grace and justification. And he continues, and we get into chapter 6 through 8, and we see how God deals with our lives after he has justified us. He sanctifies us. He works in our lives to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. And then, of course, we have that awesome description there at the end of chapter 8, where he says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And so he's building this up as he's going up this mountain of God's glory. God has done it all without any aid from man. But Paul doesn't end there. We're never separated from God. He continues to build. And in chapters 9 through 11, he talks about how God did this in his sovereignty as he elected and chose his predetermined plan before the foundations of the world. And God did this before man ever existed. He did it all before Genesis 1-1 ever occurred. And then he hits the peak, the summit in verse 36, where he summarizes everything he has taught, and he makes the most profound statement in all of Scripture. He builds it all up, and then he says, ultimately, for from him and through him and to him are what? All things. To him be the glory forever. This is why I loved teaching this book. Because by the time you get here, your heart is leaping. That's what it is with Paul. He's been teaching and writing and doing all of these things. And he gets to this point and he just has to shout, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory. Amen. He got excited. He couldn't contain himself. And when we come to this verse, that's what it should do for us. As we contemplate what's here, our hearts should over be, be overwhelmed like Paul and say, Whoa, to him be the glory, amen. Because it is so profound and it is so awesome. Paul couldn't contain himself and neither should we when we understand what's going on here. You know, I've taught this book for many years, but every now and then I like to go back and study. And God really laid this verse on my heart. And so the past few months I've been looking over this verse and studying and reading, studying and reading. Then out of nowhere, Bruce sends me an email that he wants me to teach for him. And I said, okay. And so I was praying. I did. I prayed. I said, Lord, what do I teach? And he kept bringing me back to this verse again and again and again. And that's why I want us to go through it. Because every time I study this verse, I get excited. I think you can tell. I do. I get excited. I love this verse. Because there's so much here. So I want us to take this class to look at this. And my prayer has been, will continue to be, that it will refresh us and overwhelm us as we look at what it is that God has done. So let's look at this verse. And I want you to note that there's two parts to this verse. right? The first part, for from him and through him and to him are all things. This is the theology of chapters 1 through 11. That's a summary statement. When you look at all of what he has been saying... He summarizes it with this first part. And it's a stunning, stunning theology. In fact, you could look at this first part and say that this is a summary of the entire Bible. When you look at it. The second part of this verse is what that theology leads to. And then we call that the doxology. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Now I want you to see here that this is an incredibly important very basic but crucial lesson. Forgive me for my writing, but 
your theology <coughs> impacts your, ignore the fifth, your doxology. Your theology impacts your doxology. Crucial to remember. In other words, what you know and believe about God will deeply impact your worship of God. That's what we see in this verse. That's what we see in the book of Romans. Poor or wrong theology produces weak or even wrong worship. Shallow theology, low theology, low view of God produces a very low sense of worship. And sadly, that's what's found in a lot of churches today. Because in, uh, today, we find, uh, we find churches that uh, do all kinds of things for the sake of worship, but the theology is low, and that's why their worship is so empty. You can have great music. It doesn't mean you're worshiping. You can have all kinds of activity. It doesn't mean you're worshiping. Worshiping begins here with theology, the glory of God, who God is. And to the extent that you have this, it directly impacts your worship. It doesn't matter how much you sing. If your theology is shallow, your worship is shallow. So we see that right off the bat. One teacher stated, without the first half of this verse, you will not experience the second half of this verse. And I would agree. So in the first half of this verse, we see three very important prepositions that carry incredible theological weight. We're going to talk about this in a second. One thing I want to clarify, though, these three prepositions, it's uh, uh, from, through, and to. These three prepositions have been understood by a few as a reference to the Trinity. In other words, from him, they say, is a reference to God the Father. Through him is a reference to God the Son. And to him is a reference to God the Holy Spirit. However, I want to clarify, there's nothing in this passage that would support that view. Okay, there is nothing here that would argue that these are the three uh, separate individual persons of the Trinity being represented here. Not at all. Paul is talking about the entire Godhead without the distinctions of roles. In other words, when he says from him, this is a reference to the triune God. Through him is a reference to the triune God. And to him is a reference to the triune God. Okay. So, in history, throughout history, people used to, teachers used to teach this as the Trinity. But uh, this is a reference. All three uh, prepositions are pointing to the triune holy God. Now, I want to come back to these prepositional phrases because typically, many times when we read Scripture, we don't consider the prepositions. They're, eh, they're just little words. I remember when I was in seminary, I had a, a Greek professor he was known for this. He's a Greek professor. He's known for prepositions. When you study and you present to the class, you can guarantee he's going to ask you, what's that preposition for? Because he wanted to emphasize to us that prepositions carry super impact when it comes to theology. It's the little words that are overwhelming. And he wanted to get that across. And in this verse, I couldn't emphasize it enough. There's great significance of these phrases, and it makes an it, and it's emphasized. The emphasis here is on the little words there are all things. Notice in verse 
36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. What does all things refer to? Everything. Is there anything in this text, anything that would limit the all things? No. So keep in mind, all things is just that. All things. Right? All things. Important to keep in mind. It's an all-inclusive phrase. So the entire universe and everything that happens fits within these three prepositional phrases. Now think about that. Three small words, but the entire universe, everything that's going on today at this very moment and will happen, all of that fits in these three prepositional phrases. That's how powerful these words are. Okay? And as I said earlier, the entire Bible can be summarized by these three phrases. Genesis to Revelation, everything contained therein from creation to eternity future is from Him and through Him and to Him. Everything. That's how profound it is. So let's look at the first preposition. The first preposition from. In the Greek it's EX, we get the word exit from it. And it means from, which refers to origin. Origin, if that makes sense. From him indicates that God is the source of all things. Meaning everything comes from him from the beginning, even to the present day and unto eternity. Everything, everything, everything is from him. Second preposition is in the Greek dia, which we get the word diameter, which is what? It's a diameter. It goes through, right? You know, circle goes through, and that's what it means. Through. Through him, then, means God is the means by which all things remain in being and how all things are accomplished. Everything remains in being and is directed by or through God. Everything. Nothing goes willy-nilly. Everything exists and is controlled by God. The third preposition in the Greek is E-I-S. In the Greek it's pronounced ace. And this little word means for or to. Some may have unto, okay, for or to. And it points to the goal or the end. What is the goal or the end of all things? So to him means then that everything is going towards God. He is the goal of all things and that all glory will redound to God forever. So he is the goal of all things. Those are the three prepositional phrases. We're going to look more in depth on that in a minute. But John Stott summarizes the three prepositions this way. He says, God is the creator, sustainer, and heir of everything. He is the source, its means, and its goal. He is the Alpha and the Omega and every letter of the alphabet in between. I love that. Alpha and Omega is the A and the Z in the Greek alphabet and everything in between. That's what these three prepositions are, are, are about. There's one translation, Moffat's translation, reads this way, I like it. He says, all comes from him, all lives by him, all ends in him. 
I think it's a great translation. All comes from him, all lives by him, all ends in him. So basically what Paul is doing here is he's speaking of God as the originator, the sustainer, and the goal of all creation. He's everything. He's everything. John Calvin brings out the importance of this statement when he says, the import of what is said is that the whole order of nature would be strangely subverted. We're not God, who is the beginning of all things, the end also. So he's the beginning and he's the end. If that's not the case, then everything is messed up. There is no understanding in creation. That's his point. So the ultimate origin, the ultimate cause, and the ultimate decisive reason for everything is God. That's, there's so much packed into these three prepositional phrases. In fact, we could spend an entire lesson on, uh, for each one. We're not going to do that, uh, but it can be. There's just so much packed in them. But this is not the only place in Scripture where we see these prepositional phrases. Let me give you a few examples. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. This first verse has similar prepositional phrases. He says, in verse, eight, uh, verse 6 of chapter 8, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for Him. And one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through Him. Note the prepositions. Another is 1 Corinthians eleven twelve, where Paul plainly states that everything originates with God. Ephesians 4, 6, I love this verse. Note the repeated word, all. All. He says in 4.6, One God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, in all. And you can't get clearer than that. And then Colossians 1.16, where we see that nothing in this universe is random. He says, for by him, note the preposition, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for or to him. Then in Hebrews 2.10. For it was fitting for him or to him, or for him to whom are all things and through whom are all things and bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. And there are many other passages we could look at. We could just name them off one, one at a time. There's many in there. But what, makes, what this does, it makes it very clear that Scripture is full of these prepositional phrases that emphatically, emphatically proclaim the totality of God's sovereignty over every detail. From the smallest molecules to the grandest of stars, God it controls it all. He's the aim of it all. As one teacher said, God is in the details as well as the wide-angle lens. And he's right. And this is so critical for us to remember in our world today when we consider all that's going on. If we lose sight of this, I can see why people would have high blood pressure and worry. This is critical to remember. Please understand this. This world is not out of control. Okay? It may appear like everything's crazy, doesn't make sense, but it is not out of control. The ungodly think they're running the show, but they are not. All things, all things, even what the ungodly think they're doing, 
all things are from God, through God, and to God. Regardless what the news media and everything else, what they say. That's why this is so important. Don't ever lose sight of this. When I watch, the, if I, I don't like watching the news, but whenever I catch a glimpse of the news, I always make sure I'm quoting this verse in my head. It helps me to see it in proper perspective. Right? So let's look at these prepositional phrases independently. First one, from God. All things are from God. There was a time when there was nothing but God. Right? Not even space. Space wasn't even there. Hard for us to fathom. But there was a time when there was nothing there. Matter and created mind, thinking, did not exist. There was no sun, no stars. Yet God dwelt in ineffable light. Right? There was no heaven. Yet His glory continued to shine. Right? There was not even space, as I said. No planets. There was not even um, uh, material from which God could create things or actually make things. Nothing existed. God was and is and always will be completely self-sufficient. Right? When he, had, uh, when he revealed himself to Moses, remember what he said? I am who I am. Great words. I am self-sufficient. I don't need creation. I don't need man. I don't need anything. I'm perfectly content and satisfied within the Trinity. I am self-sufficient. That's God. So there was a time when there was nothing but God. Not even space. He is complete. He didn't need anything, meaning Everything you see had to have come from Him. And like I said, there's no raw material to work with. It's not like God saw some, some dirt and put it together and said, Hey, I'll make earth. There's earth. There's nothing. It's hard to picture. You know, we'd think an empty space, but not even space was there. Really weird, strange, but it's the reality. So He created the universe and all it contains out of nothing. It's what we call ex nihilo. Creation out of nothing. Nothing existed. God did not take some raw material and begin to put things together. Right? In John 1.3, we read, All things came into being through Him. Notice, all things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. can't see it any clearer than that. Anything you see. Came from Him. Nothing has come into being apart from Him. God simply spoke, and the entire universe and everything that exists came into being out of nothing. And it came instantaneously. It didn't take, for those of you who like science, it didn't take millions and billions of years. Okay? Our God spoke, and it was. Right? He spoke, and it was. This earth we live on came into existence by God creating it. And he began to make it spin on its axis. And he made it spin perfectly just at the right speed. And it's situated just at the right angle so that life can be sustained on this earth. 
He gave it the moon that it needs, the orbit, the, the changing of the seasons. All of these things that you see, God did that by simply speaking it. Be! And it was. Amazing. Be! And it was. See, all this comes from the infinite genius of God. He's just simply spoken into being. He's the uncreated creator, or as you hear some philosophers, he is the uncaused first cause. That makes sense. Yep. Yeah. He's the uncaused cause who brought about the very first cause, which is creation. Right? And it, what's interesting here is uh, I remember having a discussion with a, a scientist one time uh, about this because he's strongly into evolution. If you're a scientist and you're a realist, you've got to believe in evolution. Okay, I believe in evolution for your sake. Let's take this back. Where did everything come from? It evolved. Really? What evolved? Energy? Where did energy come from? I know this poor man, I thought he was just going to, I thought he was going to hit me, but he didn't, fortunately. Very frustrated. Because, see, they refuse to accept the fact that everything comes from God. No matter what, even philosophers, even atheistic philosophers, you can take them back and say, what caused the very first thing? You have to go to a cause. And I remember hearing a, a, a debate one time. Take them to that first cause. What was the first cause? No matter who it is, no matter what. Even time. You ever think about it? Time had to begin. Right? If time didn't begin, if time always was, we wouldn't be here right now. Does that make sense? Think about it. This line is time, and we're here. If we didn't start somewhere, we would never get here. So time had to start. Oh, philosophers hate that. They do. They hate it. I've asked them about it. They said, oh, you can't use that. I said, okay, then explain to me. How did we arrive, like today, how did we arrive at 2022? Because if there's no beginning, then time is always back here. So time had to start. Something had to cause time to start. We call it God. What do you call it? And they get frustrated. Do you have your hand up? I'm sorry. Yeah, that's all right. The, uh, I always use, well, what is, what's the rule of thermodynamics? Yeah. Everything has got to be equal and opposite reaction. Mm -hmm. So what was the first action? Right. Yeah. It had to be, there has to be a cause. Be first mm-hmm. Right. And who was that first action? Right. We call him God, because that's the reality. The point is, is that no matter what you believe, whether you're an atheist or a believer, there has to be a first cause. All things are from God. Therefore, God is the first cause. He's the ultimate cause. So I love about this preposition. James Montgomery Boyce, great Bible teacher from the last century, said, if anything exists then God, who is the uncaused first cause, must exist and be the creator of it all. I agree. Right? He had to create it all. And in Romans 1.20, Paul says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. This is why the theory of evolution is so evil. Because it takes God right out of the picture. Everything is from God. And since he created everything, the first idea had to come from him. He spoke and the universe came into being. 
and all of the countless complexities. You know, science talks about all of these laws that they have, all of these things that, that are going on, the atomic structure of the atom, the supernova, and on and on and on. Yes, God created all of that. You know, man thinks, I've seen this, when I was talking to that scientist, he says, look how far we have come, look at all the discoveries. I said, you think that's impressive to God? Do you, I told him this, I said, do you know that there's so much more out there that you don't even know about that God already created? And every time you discover something new, you think you've done something amazing? No, God already created it. It's been there from the beginning of time. The law of thermodynamics, that's not anything new to God. That happened from the very beginning. And so man likes to think highly of himself. Look what we have discovered. <laughs> really? God knew about it. And so, we think we're so advanced right now with all the technology. Do you realize that there's so much? We haven't even scratched the surface of all that God has already done. That's why all things are from him. As Paul told the Colossians in 116, he says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. See, this is why the psalmist says in Psalm 14:1, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Because you take God out of the picture, what do you have left? Nothing. Now, all things from God includes not only things made, but I also want you to see that all things from God includes history, all of history. In other words, everything that has taken place from the beginning of time is from God. From God. From eternity past, God established every detail that is to come to pass. Everything is from Him. In Acts chapter 2, verse 23, it is called the predetermined plan of God. In Ephesians 1.11, it's called the counsel of His will. And then later in Ephesians 3.11, it is referred to as the eternal purposes of God. Also in Hebrews 6.17, it says that these eternal purposes cannot be changed. No one can thwart those eternal purposes. See, predetermination, all from God. Understand, COVID-19, it's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. It's not a mishap. Before Genesis 1-1 occurred, COVID-19 was already established and set and predetermined by God. It's not an accident. We must keep that in mind. Car accidents are not really accidents. We call them accidents. But things do not happen willy-nilly. Things do not happen where God says, Oh, no, I didn't expect that to happen. God brings it all to pass. He established everything from the beginning. Everything that takes place is by his predetermined plan. That's what it means that everything is from God. Not just the things, but history. All things from God includes the day of your birth. It includes who your parents are. It includes when and where in history you would be born. It includes your gender. It wasn't a mistake. It includes who your neighbors would be. Every event in your life until God takes you home, all of that has been predetermined by God. That's why we can have faith. That's why we can have security in life every day. It's all in the hands of God. Things don't happen off the cuff, willy-nilly. Everything in your life, everything in my life is from God. 
All your days are numbered. Psalm 139, 16, David states, And in your book, he's speaking to God, And in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there's not one of them. In other words, before I was ever born, before this world ever existed, my days were already numbered. That's true of you and it's true of me. We don't know what that's going to be, but our, our days are numbered. And God has that number. God has that number. So the first preposition is that everything is from God. Let's look at the second preposition. Colossians 1.17 helps us see the second preposition. Listen to what Paul says here. It says that God is before all things, and in him all things hold together. You see that? All things hold together in him. This is what Paul says here in verse, uh, verse 36 of chapter 11 with the preposition through him. When he says all things are through him, not only are all things from him, all things are through him, which means all things continue to exist through God. It's because of him. That's what he says in verse 17 of Colossians 1. It says, in him all things hold together. He holds all things by the word of his power, the writer of Hebrews says. He holds it together. He makes it exist. He holds the entire universe in his hand. And he governs and upholds it all. So he not only predetermines everything from him, but he also brings it to pass. He does that. He makes sure that his predetermined plan will be fulfilled exactly as it was planned. He doesn't change halfway through. God does not have plan B. There's no such thing as plan B with God. There's one plan it's in his hands, and he will bring it to pass exactly as he or has ordained it. Think about this. If God was to let go of this entire universe for one millisecond, I mean, if he just let it go, everything would just disintegrate. It would be non-existence. Everything exists by God's grace. He's the one who brings everything to pass, and he's the one who holds it together. You and I are here right now. The reason why I'm up here alive and you're up here is because God is holding you together. If God was to let go, we would disintegrate. That's what it means that all things are through Him. See, science talks of its laws, but it is God who not only created them, but He oversees and upholds every one of those laws. Listen, the law of gravity is upheld by God. The reason why the law of gravity continues to work, because God makes it work. Climb a building and jump off. You know what? You're going to fall. Because God established the law of gravity, and you will go down. He makes it work. And that's true of every law. As talked about, even the law of thermodynamics. God brought that about. And please understand, this world is not going to end it's not going to be uh, destroyed. It's not going to blow up until God brings it to pass at the end of time according to his plan. It doesn't matter what man does. This world will not end until God brings it to an end according to his time, not man's time. Right? He's in control of this. He works out the detail of history so that nothing happens apart from God. Not one molecule in this entire universe moves without God making it move. Right? That's through Him. It all continues to exist through Him. 
The human race is not coming to an end. We're not going into extinction until God brings it to that point at the end of time. So when people talk about the human race coming to extinction and this world is going to end, I said, no, 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 no. It will end when God says it's going to end. I don't care how many nuclear weapons are out there. God is greater and controls the nuclear weapons. He just does. So it's all through him. Scripture tells us God is the author and finisher of life. Not man. Not any other power. Our God is the author and finisher of life. Hebrews 9.27, the writer says, And inasmuch as it is appointed for men once to die, and after this comes judgment. Notice, it's appointed for everybody to die here. And then we face God. We all have an appointment. He upholds that appointment, not me. He does. We don't have to fear death. Because it's in God's hands. It's in God's hands. Every person has an appointment, and he brings that appointment about. So everything that has happened, and everything that will ever happen in your life is through God. As I said, there's no such thing as an accident. Your life has been predetermined by God, and he has a purpose behind it. Okay, There are no accidents. It's not wasted. God is the one who's at work in your life. Everything that happens, he brings it to pass. And this is why the promise is true in Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes what? All things. Not just a few things. All things to work together for good. To those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And this promise is true because all things are through God. All things. Turn with me, if you will, to Isaiah chapter 46. Isaiah 46. We're going to look at verses 8 through 11. And this is uh, the prophet Isaiah writing for Israel. And it's more uh, looking to the future when Israel is going to be in captivity, the Babylonian captivity. The first half of Isaiah, up to chapter 39, Isaiah dealt mainly with the wickedness and evil of Israel and why they deserve captivity. Then starting in chapter 40, he really starts bringing words of encouragement. So God is speaking through Isaiah, in Isaiah 46, verses 8 through 11. He's writing to those who are in captivity or will be in captivity. Look at what he says in verse 8. Remember this and be assured. We call it to mind, you transgressors. Note, the first thing he says is, call it to mind. Why? Because we tend to forget, don't we? We're the type of people that we get so caught up with life, we tend to forget. So he says, we call it to mind, you transgressors. Verse 9. Remember the former things long past. For I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there's no one like me. Then in verse 10, he describes where there's no one like him. Know what he says in verse 10. Declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient uh, times, things which have not been done. So note what he does here. God declares it even before history began. He continues in verse 10, saying, My purpose will be established. Note these words, and I will. Not, I might. I will accomplish all my good pleasure. See, this is irrevocable and unchangeable. He will do it. Verse 11, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. This is a reference to Cyrus, the king of Medo-Persians. He's the one who's going to let them go back. He doesn't even live yet. But God is already naming them. Okay? Truly I have spoken. 
Surely I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely I will do it. Do you see the emphasis here? I did it. I planned it. And I bring it to pass. You can count on it. And read your history. You'll see it happened exactly as God said it would happen. And this is true of all history. That's why there's no such thing as a coincidence. Okay, Coincidence is just another word for God's sovereignty. He's in control of it. All things are through Him. He has every detail uh, determined, and He will surely do it. He holds everything together. So then, all things are from God. All things are through God. I want to look at the third preposition. To Him. All things are to God. All things. This means that everything that comes from God, everything that exists and everything that He does throughout history is to Him, meaning it is all for His own glory. Everything that exists, God created, and it is all a reflection of His incredible genius and His majestic attributes in all of it for His own glory and His own pleasure. All of creation cries out glory of God. Remember Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare what? Glory of God. The heavens, the universe, everything declares the glory of God. Creation is a mirror that reflects the glory of God. John Calvin said that the entire created order is but a theater for the glory of God. One teacher said, I love it, creation is one large finger pointing to God. <laughs> Everything you see in creation, everywhere you look, you see a big old finger, much bigger than mine, pointing to God. That's what creation is about. Whenever you look out and you see the incredible creation, whether it's the beauty of the majestic mountains or the valleys or even the canyons like Grand Canyon, or the beauty of a sunset at the beach, or a field of flowers or roses, whatever it be, a million and one different things. Whenever you look out and you see it, picture a finger pointing to God and saying, it's His glory. God did it all. God did it all. God did it all. That's what creation is all about. It's to Him. As I said earlier, this is why evolution is an attack on the glory of God. If God is not the source of all creation, then it is not all to Him. And if it's not all to Him, then it's not to His glory. Evolution is evil because it takes away from the glory of God. So then everything in the work of creation is to God. There is no one in the beginning but God, and there's no one or nothing that is equal to Him. Thus, His motive of necessity has to be for himself. So think of it this way. God's highest aim in everything is his own glory. This is where God's passion lies. You want to know God's heartbeat? That's his heartbeat. Everything, his passion and everything he does in your life and the life of everybody else, everything that has happened and will happen, all of it is painted by God's passion for his own glory. That's why he does it. That's his aim. And so since this is his aim, and he shares it with no one, right? Isaiah 42 says, I share my glory with no one. Okay. So since this is his passion, since this is his aim, where should our passion be every day? Yeah. Our passion should be 
And everything we do, everything we say, should be to magnify who God is. That's His passion. That's why we exist. That's why everything exists. If God did not have a passion for His glory, we would not be here. It's all for His glory. Our passion should be consumed with that. Giving Him the praise that He so richly deserves. John Piper states it this way. He says, all of this means that there is no explanation for what is or what happens that is deeper or more decisive than God. I'll say that again. I love it. All of this means that there is no explanation for what is or what happens that is deeper and more decisive than God. You want an explanation for everything? We point it to God. That's what he tells us. This is what the sovereignty of God is all about. He controls everything so that it is all to him. Isaiah 48, 11, one of my favorite verses. Listen to what God says. Very familiar verse. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will act. For how can my name be profaned and my glory I will not give to another? He repeats it twice. For my own sake, for my own sake, I will act. Why does God act? It's not because little Frankie is so good he deserves something. Oh, isn't that good? No. It's not because we're so wonderful and we should get things. For my own sake, God says. And in case you miss it, let me say it again. For my own sake, I will act. Why? Because I share my glory with no one. So when God works and acts in your life, no matter what it is, he's doing it for the sake of of his own glory. Sure, we benefit from it. I'm not saying we don't. But please understand, don't put yourself on a pedestal and say, look what God has done for me. Look how good I am. Understand, he did it in spite of you. Not because of you. Because for him, his glory is far greater than anything, anything else. That's his passion. So God acts in human history with a passion for his own name. Paul describes it this way in Ephesians 1.11. He says, who works all things after the counsel of his will. God works all things after the counsel of his will because it's for his name and his glory. Proverbs 16.33, we read, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Every time you throw that dice, it's not an accident. It's not an accident. Every time the dice is thrown, God brings about that number. Yes, even in Vegas, as often as it happens, God controls the numbers. He does. He does. And there are many others. Proverbs 19.21, Proverbs 21.1, Proverbs 21.31, and on and on and on and on it goes. God controls it all, brings it to pass that his glory would be displayed. So we see then clearly that God's absolute sovereignty has as its name, or as its aim, his own glory. Even what man means for evil, God uses for his glory. Think about Joseph and the brothers. When they first met, when Joseph was in Egypt, remember? In, in uh, Genesis 45, Joseph explained to them, God brought me here. From the perspective of the brothers, what brought Joseph to Egypt? They did, yeah. We sold you out. That's not what Joseph says. 
God brought me here. What they intended for evil, God used because it was part of his plan. And what did he do? He delivered Israel. They became a nation. And in the midst of all of their wickedness and evil, he brought about the Messiah. So what God or what man tends even for evil, God is still in control. And he brings good for the sake of his name. That excites me. That excites me because there's a lot of evil in this world right now. But my hope is found in the fact that my God controls it. All things are from him and through him and ultimately to him. God controls all things and works it out for his glory. So let me ask you this. Everything that God does, he does for his own glory. For my sake and my sake alone, God says. Is it wrong for God to do that? Here's the reason why I ask this question. I remember teaching this to a class one time. It was, a, it was a, an adult evening class one time, and I was teaching it at the school. This one lady in the back room raises her hand and said, but doesn't that make God selfish and self-centered? And I said, yeah. Yeah. But for God, that's the greatest good. Because see, why were we created? For his glory, right? So if we were created for his glory, where do we find our greatest satisfaction and contentment in life? In him. So the more that God displays his glory, the greater will be what? Our joy and contentment and satisfaction in life. The more we focus on ourselves, what happens? We begin to crumble. So, is it wrong for God to show forth his glory? No, it's perfectly right. In fact, if God did not, then we'd have to question God's goodness. Because the absolute best thing for you and for me is for God to glorify himself and that we would look at that and be overwhelmed and say, wow. It's good because God's glory is our very best. Anything else comes up short. That's why we were created in the image of God. Remember on the mountain um, at the transfiguration and actually even at the baptism, God spoke to the people around. Remember what he said, this is my beloved son. Then what did he say? In whom I am well pleased. God is well pleased in his son. Where are we going to be well pleased? In this miserable creation? Or in Jesus Christ? That's why God glorifies himself again and again. So we can find greater happiness, greater joy, greater contentment, even in the midst of all of the evil that goes on. So yes, all things are to him so that our joy increases. What do you think we're going to be doing for eternity? Think about it. We're going to be in heaven. Okay? God is what? Eternal. He's infinite. How long is it going to take an eternal, infinite God to reveal his glory? For all eternity. So guess what we're going to be doing for all eternity? Every moment we're there. Whoa! Wow! Whoa! We will be shouting his praises because he's going to reveal more and more of himself. And after 10,000 years, when you think you can't handle it, it says, hold on, I got more to show. That's heaven. That's what we're created for. But it begins now. It begins now. He wants us to see his glory. And he wants us to bask in it and delight in it. So we sing and praise and worship him. And God just takes it as a fragrant aroma. That's what I love about this verse. Now I'm getting into preaching. Let's move on. Man. It's all from God. Predestination from Him. 
He did it from before the foundations of the world. But I want you to see, not only all things in our history, but our very salvation, our very salvation fits into these three uh, prepositions. Our salvation is from God. Jesus, where did he come from? He came from God. Right? He established him for the foundations of the world. When, when, when did he choose us? Ephesians 1.4, before the foundations, right? So salvation is from him. Salvation also came through him because it came through Jesus Christ when he came. So salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone is designed by God's brilliance. And it comes through him. And then salvation is to him. The ultimate reason for salvation is for his glory. It's from God alone, through God alone, to God alone. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 1, he talks about our salvation. Okay, And in verse 6, verse 12, and verse 14, these three verses talking about our salvation all end the same way. And it says, to the praise of the glory of his grace. That's our salvation. To the praise of the glory of his grace. Our salvation is to the praise of the glory of his grace. And one day, every person that ever lived is going to acknowledge this, even those who deny it today. Listen to Paul's words. I love these words in Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Here's what Paul tells us. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every person that ever lived since the time of Adam and Eve especially those who deny God. Every person will bow that knee and will declare Jesus Christ, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Every person. Anybody that wants to ascribe glory to anybody else will one day be corrected permanently when they see Jesus Christ. As, per, as Charles Spurgeon stated, to God alone be all the glory. From the first to the last, let him who is the Alpha and Omega have all the praise. Let him be exalted. So then, since all things are from God, and through God, and to God, there is no person that could possibly offer anything to God, whether it be counsel, or an act of service, or anything, in which he receives payment from God. In other words, I can't do anything to earn anything from God. God just does it because of his grace and glory. I don't earn anything. I find this interesting because years ago, when I was pastoring the church, I had a gentleman in my church who left the church over this. We were talking, we had a Bible study one time, and I was talking about how God communicates to us through his word. Right? And so he asked about, well, God can audibly talk to us. I said, God doesn't audibly talk anymore because he gave us his word. Okay? Can God do it? Of course he can. God can do anything, but he doesn't do it. Because if God did audibly talk... That's inspiration. He came up to me afterwards and said he's leaving the church because he was upset. And I said, why? He said, because he said God doesn't audibly talk, but I know God audibly talked to me. And I said, really? He said, I, I heard his voice just like I'm hearing you. So I asked him, what did he, uh, what did he say? He said, he thanked me because I did something for him. <laughs> Think about that. I did something for him and God thanked me. It doesn't work that way. Okay? It does not work that way. God does not owe us Thanks. Really? Anything.
anything, anything, anything that happens that is good in your life, that you have done, and it was beneficial, understand it was God at work through you to accomplish it. Apart from God, you would not do it. So even the good things that you do comes from God. And we should thank Him for it. God never owes you or me thanksgiving. When He said that, I was taken aback. Like, whoa, God thanked you for doing something? How sad. See, since God is the source of all things, He's the giver of all things. He's not the recipient. And since He is the means by which all things are accomplished, there's nothing that can be done by any person or anything throughout the entire universe for Him. Or apart from Him. And since God is the goal of all things, then He is the purpose for which everything exists. So I want to conclude with a summary statement by Kent Hughes. I love what he says here. He says, For from Him are all things. What do we have that He has not given to us? And through Him are all things. What can we do without Him? And to Him are all things. Who else deserves the highest honor. See, I pray that our lives would reflect this truth this week. Because there's no greater truth than the fact that all things are from Him, through Him, and to Him. To Him and Him alone be all the glory. Let's pray. Our God, we bow before you. And it's just overwhelming and stunning to think through these, this statement. All things from you. All things through you. And indeed, all things to you. So I would pray, God, that this, the rest of this day, this next hour, this whole week, that you do such a work in us that we would be overwhelmed by this reality again and again and again. May it be the heartbeat of our lives. That all things are from you, through you, and to you. And to you, and you alone, be all the glory. Father, prepare us now to shout your praises in our hearts as we go to uh, the next service. May we declare your praise confidently, boldly, knowing that you, and you alone are God, and there is no other. To you be all the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.